Oh my goodness, what a week. What a week. We need peace, right? You can go ahead and have a seat. And I want to lead us into our scripture today. And before we get there, I think maybe to have a taste of what is going on at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is where we are in the biblical story. I'm thinking about the clarity that has come to us this week. A clarity that we've actually had, but once again, um, we are aware of just how divided we are in this country. One person put it this way, we live in two very different Americas. I think we hold in tension this question, what will bring a new day for us? What will bring us together as one America? Feel that tension, feel that question, and feel the longing for a new day. And we will have a taste, a small, small taste, of what was going on at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, which was far worse for them. They had, after all of their hundreds of years of kings, come to a place of complete failure, where they were overpowered by other nations and carried away. And then they started trickling back into Judah, into Jerusalem, to rebuild. So they're rebuilding, they're rebuilding the temple, they are rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem as a protection. And yet, the rebuilding of that temple will not necessarily bring a new day for them. The rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, which is now completed, won't necessarily bring a new day for them, the newness that they long for. So hold on to that longing, and uh, I'm going to pray and then lead us into that part of Scripture where we will see what will bring a new day and renewal. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, come upon us as we are here for worship, as we are in our homes gathering together as your people for worship. Help us to hear your word, to be renewed by it. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You are invited, if you have Bibles with you at home or on your phones here in the sanctuary, because we don't have Bibles in the pew, to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to be in the first 12 verses. Listen to God's word to you. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, 
Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Baini, Shurabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared for this day, or for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, I know I should get a medal for saying all those names about as well as I could. But the point of this passage is not getting through all those names, but what is renewing the people and moving them to tears. And I want to recreate this scene for you. It is just a really amazing scene. We start out with that opening sentence. All the people were gathered before the water gate. And I want you to have a sense of who is in that assembly because it's large. And there is a verse in the previous chapter that tells us who's in that assembly. It says the whole assembly together with 42,360 besides their male and female slaves of whom there were 7,337. Isn't that interesting? And they're outside. They're in the public before the water gate, not in the temple, which is where normally the word of God would be read. Outside where anybody could be there, the women could be there, the children who could understand could be there. Anyone could be there, so it was not exclusive at all. Huge crowd. And you notice how eager they are. They are eager. There is a hunger there. You can palpably feel it in this passage. It reminds me of when... The Pope, Pope John Paul II, went and visited Poland. This was before communism fell. It was a huge deal, 1979. And the communists were very concerned about his visit, tried to really downplay it, figured there'd be a few thousand people there. When he got there, there were a million people. And they were crying out, chanting, we want God, we want God. Ugh. 
just almost gives you chills. That is what's happening here. They aren't chanting, we want God, but there is that kind of eagerness. They are attentive, we are told. They stand up. They stand up for how long? From early morning until midday. Think about that. Listening to the word of God for six hours, half a day. And by the way, they came back for more the next day. So there was this eagerness, there was attentiveness, and they're so excited by the end of this passage because they have understood. That's what it says, very last sentence. They go on their way rejoicing. Why? Because they understood the word of God that was said to them. And they understand not on their own. They had to have one another. They had to be in community. Not just the professional priests are helping them, but these other names, not just the Levites, but lay leaders as well. And how often when I have visited the small groups in this church, they have commented on how grateful they are not only for the support of one another in a small group, but also for the opportunity to understand. There's greater understanding that comes from the wisdom of one another. As one person put it, many things we can do alone. Being Christian is not one of them. So they are understanding in community and they are responsive. Physically they are responsive. They're crying out, blessing God, amen, amen. They're lifting their hands up as they shout. Then they're all the way down on the ground with their faces to the ground. And they wept. They wept. Why were they weeping? That's asked a lot in the commentaries, and I think of the power of God's word to be for, it can be a mirror for us. I want to read to you this verse out of James chapter 2, or chapter 1, rather. He writes this, be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves, for if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror For they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. I think they're convicted, like when you look in a mirror and you see yourself more accurately than you want to see yourself, but that's what's going on. And they see in a way that makes them want to respond to make a change in their lives. And they are encouraged, don't just grieve over what you just saw in the mirror because that's at the end of the story. God still loves you. God's committed to you. You are still God's people. Go on your way rejoicing. And that's exactly what they do. They go on their way and they have this wonderful feast and they share their food and they are very aware of God's renewing covenant love. It's a new day. It is a new day, and it comes not from the building of the temple. They're not even in the temple. It comes not from the building of the wall of protection around Jerusalem. It comes from being in God's word. God's word brings a new day. I was thinking a lot about Albania as I was reading in Nehemiah and the power of God's word. I remember Aliras Meni, who grew up in Albania from this church as a child under communism and talking about the restrictions under communism as far as the practices of the Christian faith. He had to, they, they had to hide their Bible under the bed. 
They couldn't be praying publicly. These things could actually get you arrested. So you have a sense of what was going on in Albania before communism fell. And after communism fell, after those many, many decades, Mark and Ruthie Stosher, right after they got married, the next year after communism fell, they went to Albania to start a ministry, to start a church. And how do you think that began? By getting that Bible out and getting people in the Word and getting the Word in people. And eventually, one of the first things they did besides starting a church was to invite torchbearers, which was an, is an international Bible school, to have a post right there, a teaching post right there in Urseca, Albania. It's one of the main pieces of their ministry in that place. Last weekend, once a month now, the team that was going to go to Albania now meets on Zoom with them, and Mark and Ruthie Stosher were with us, and their house full of orphans, children that have been abused and abandoned but taken in by the Stoshers as part of their family. And as we were having our meeting, Astrid Block was leading the devotional. She had several scriptures for us to be in together, and she asked if one of the children in their home could read Psalm 139. And it turns out, by the time we got to that scripture for our devotional, one of the children seemed to be high school age. He didn't even need to have his Bible because he had memorized Psalm 139. How moving it was to see how this word was in him, in them, how they were in the word. Because God's word brings a new day. It brings a new beginning. This is so foundational to our beginnings as a Presbyterian denomination. Out of the 16th century, a new day was needed for the church in particular because the church was so corrupt. And a lot of things happened in the Reformation, 16th century Reformation, but one of the key pieces was actually getting back into the biblical story and making a way for the biblical story to get into the hands of the people. Martin Luther, one of the most powerful things he did was to translate scripture from the Hebrew and the Greek into the language of the people. It was actually in Latin. That's what they used in their mass. But nobody could read it except for the priests who knew Latin. So he translated it into German. And plus the printing press came out about that time when you could have Bibles. This is what brought reformation. This is what brought renewal. So that built into our creeds and our confessions is the importance and the centrality of Scripture. It is central to who we are. We are people of the book. There are many distinctives in, in other denominations, but our distinctive is being in the Word and helping people have the Word be inside them. During the crazy 60s, we wrote the Confession of 1967, which is in our book of confessions, and we have this paragraph in there. It says this. The one sufficient revelation of God is Jesus Christ, the Word of God incarnate, to whom the Holy Spirit bears unique and authoritative witness through the Holy Scriptures, which are received and obeyed as the Word of God written. The Scriptures are not a witness among others, but the witness without parallel. 
If there was going to be renewal out of the crazy 60s for the church and beyond, it was going to come through the witness of Scripture leading us to Jesus Christ, the Word of God incarnate. And so you have the leaders in our church when they are ordained, all the leaders, clergy, deacons, elders, answer this question. Do you accept the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you. And every single officer in the church affirms and says yes to this because it's the word of God that leads us. It's the word of God that feeds us, transforms us. We believe that. We confess that. We make vows to live that and to be honest we can neglect that just like Israel did Gail Godwin in her book Evensong she talks about chief drowning bear Cherokee who lived in the well, 1759, 1839 are his dates I want to read to you this sentence in her book After he allowed a Christian missionary to read several chapters of the Bible to him, he remarked thoughtfully, it seems to be a good book. Strange that the white people are not better after having had it so long. We've had it for a long time. What are we doing with it? We have Bibles. Are we in them? Are they in us? Not just in the book but in the biblical story. It's why we have made this a priority this year at our church, biblical literacy. It's why we're doing a whole series on the Bible so that once again we can elevate the importance, the power, the authority of God's word which brings a new day. Are we hungry for it? Are we eager for it? Are we letting ourselves be taught by others? I remember when Evan Chung was here as our youth director many years ago. He talked about growing up in his home, they had what they called the Chung Men Creed. It was a creed to be in the Word of God. That was a part of what a value he grew up with in his home. It was a value he took to Cal Berkeley and was in a church and in Scripture, and he said, that is what kept me on the right path through college. It's what led him into his marriage, leading him into ministry, leading him into having a family. Are we letting ourselves be taught and mentored by one another? Are we letting the word of God be a mirror for us, a corrective for us, so that we can see who we are and where we are in the light of God's word, leading us to a better response? Are we hearing God's covenant love for us? promising a new beginning and celebrating that good news. You know, sometimes I think there's moments for us where we have an aha, where we realize that things could be so much better. There's so much we could accomplish if only. I don't know if you noticed this, but it seems like after every election, I am always amazed and appalled at the amount of money that is spent 
on our elections and on the campaign. Do you know how much money was spent on this election? They estimate $11 billion. $11 billion. I think, oh my gosh, if that money <laughs> could be spent on real needs in this country, it could bring about real change, enormous transformation and change. And when you think about the amount of time we spend listening to prognostications and pundits, how many of us have said, I need to quit listening to this so much. I need to stop. If we spent just a small portion at that time hearing God's word, friends, it would bring real change. A new day. And it can start small, like Kurt right now, with our high school students and middle school students. They are in the Word of God. They've just gotten their own Bible. That is huge. That is significant. You, in your own next step of being more in the Word and letting the Word be in you, God brings a new day through the Word of God. You know, Jesus at the end of his Sermon on the Mount said this in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. God's word in Jesus Christ is our sure foundation. And it is the source of any renewal we hope to have in ourselves, in our church, in our country, and in the world. Amen.